everybody, and welcome back to Aligning America. I'm your host, Vincent Miller, and let's get right into things. Today's first story is going to be covering Andrew Cuomo's complete abandonment by his Democratic establishment. It has been coming out more and more. We talked about it last week, all of the scandals that he is now undergoing. It is looking horrible for him from a national, from a statewide perspective. It's not good. He's in a very tough position facing opposition from his own party and especially from the opposite party. Even though they do not have a a real hold in New York, you are seeing that public backlash from the 30 percent or so Republican voters that are really quite tired of him. And and then you're seeing Democrats really kind of agreeing, nodding their heads and saying, yeah, he's pretty bad. So what is interesting here is, yes, we always assumed, much like Gavin Newsom, that he would have public backlash from a lot of his actions because, quite honestly, some of them were terrible. Some of his ideas were terrible and some of the things he did were terrible. He tried to be the champion of the pandemic and then turned around and hid the statistics behind the, the mortality rate in old folks' homes and then refused to actually change them or have them come to light. And then as that developed, we realized there was a, a culture of abuse and, and silencing inside his own political machine. And it really came out that his, his campaign was a bunch of kind of awful people. And that all fell apart as the national media and private investigators and, and national investigators began to look into it. And it it all came apart right right at the seams. So now you're looking at what is honestly one of the fastest turnabouts I think I've ever seen in national politics. I've only lived a short life, but it's very impressive to see one morning him having the support of the entire establishment. The next morning, both state senators, Kirsten Gillibrand and Chuck Schumer, have announced that they believe he needs to step down. Of course, he also has come out multiple times saying he will not resign no matter what. You also saw prominent state party legislature folks like AOC making public statements against him. There are still a few key members of the national media that have yet to condemn his actions, yet to insult him and call for his resignation. Those really honestly, most prominently being Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They've been shockingly silent on the issue. And quite honestly, that's all they need to do, because if they truly wanted him to stay in power, if the party establishment wanted him to stay in power, the one be all end all protection clause that he's going to get is from President Biden or Vice President Kamala Harris. And because they refuse to do that, he is left out to dry. There were photos circulating of him in the morning at around 9 a.m., drinking outside of his home with his dog looking quite disheveled. And I feel like that encapsulates his situation perfectly. He is abandoned without any friends and he knows what is coming. He's going to face an impeachment effort because he refuses to resign. Quite honestly, we all know where it's going to go. It's, it's going to go quite poorly for him. And I am not sympathetic because of his actions that he's taken, though I do feel bad that a man who has quite honestly built his own political future happened to ruin it by being a terrible person. I I do think that this is a lesson for those who are desiring to get into politics that, yes, it is one thing to make it there, but you are going to have to keep that seat wherever you are by being a decent person, because no matter how hard you try and hide it, no matter how long you try and hide it, I mean, look what happens. Eventually, something's going to slip up. There's going to be a pandemic. There's going to be a a watershed moment and you're going to fall over. And quite honestly, that's the this is the best example. We could have a man with an 80 percent approval rating not so long ago is now so far in the gutters that it's unbelievable. And his political future is all but assured to be six feet under. So as the story develops, I imagine we're just going to see a conclusion paragraph to all of this. Uh, He's going to be if not even impeached and arrested, at least impeached and thrown out to the dogs. And I'd imagine he'll suffer a life much like Rudy Giuliani of scrounging for spotlight where he can, but not doing much else. And uh, we'll have to see where the story goes from there. 
Now, our second story today is going to be concerning Gavin Newsom, the other governor that we talked about last week who was under fire and facing public pressure, though his story turned out much nicer for him. Uh, He received the national backing of not only many prominent Democrats, but also a few centrists and many, many progressives that I did not see coming. We saw Bernie Sanders endorsement last week of uh, the anti, well, a pseudo endorsement by a condemnation of the recall efforts in California. But not only that, we saw two very progressive movements going forward, nationally speaking, and uh, pushing through efforts to keep Gavin Newsom in place. This, of course, kind of shores up his support and especially secures his left flank, which was one of the wild cards. If Gavin Newsom was facing a recall election, would another Democrat run against him? Would there be intra-party conflict and would a progressive try and outflank him and possibly win in a state like California where that's entirely plausible? No, that is not going to be the case. He has the firm backing of almost all leftist organizations, nationally speaking, which is more than enough to supersede any party affiliations within the state. And then you saw Republicans, of course, two Republicans are are quite honestly jockeying to see who can get less of the vote, because I can't believe that he's actually going to lose to a Republican, because in my opinion, it is just not going to happen. They have maybe the votes to push through a recall. But it's not going to happen. I think they're they're attempting to use the dissatisfaction with the coronavirus pandemic and the lockdown that ensued against Gavin Newsom and his general unpopularity amongst younger voters to push through a Republican candidate. But this is no Arnold Schwarzenegger. They're running. They're running two no names that nobody appreciates any more than just face value. And I can't see any plausible way of them actually being elected, which kind of makes the story a moot point. Well, yes. It is not great optics to be getting recall signatures petitioned against you and then possibly having to face a recall election. But it really doesn't matter for a man who's almost assured a victory in that election. Another short story that's facing us nationally today uh, is Kentucky's absolute decimation of the First Amendment. Why do I say that? Why do I sound so vitriolic? Why do I sound so angry? Well, it's because, quite honestly, I am. I believe that the bill that was passed in Kentucky state legislature is actually disgusting as their Senate has pushed through a bill that would make it a state crime and then a federally punished crime to insult a police officer during a riot and would authorize the use of violent force by police officers if insulted. Now, this is going to roll quite nicely into our next story, which is equally unpleasant. And I'll explain in just one second how that is. That, of course, is a bill entirely entirely. There, there's hardly any pretense. That is an entirely anti-protest, anti-demonstration bill aimed at those seeking racial justice or those seeking change as there will be no white people rioting or protesting or doing any sort of movement out in the streets ever because they have everything they could ever want in a state like Kentucky. They do not face systemic abuse from anything in Kentucky. You could argue that the states lacking education and infrastructure do systemically abuse everyone who lives there. But that is not a racially motivated fault of the state. That is simply a fault of the state, which, again, this is not an anti-Kentucky charade. I am against most of the leadership in Kentucky, though I do not find the citizens to be at fault for that. Generally speaking, they are not the ones voting in the state assembly. So I cannot claim that they are the ones who are propagating these racist and anti-progress movements that will, of course, be stymied by a bill that allows police officers to use violent force against those who are out there demonstrating. And of course, any insult, slight insult at all, if you yell at a march, if you scream 
uh, when do we want police reform? We want it now. That's an insult to the police as far as they could be concerned. It's all, of course, subjective. And that's what makes it so dangerous. It is a subjective punishment or subjectively applied punishment on free speech. And that is a problem. It is not about being right wing, left wing, yada, yada. It, it literally doesn't matter. This at this point is no longer a partisan issue in my mind. This is just an issue of how the United States has functioned for 200 plus years and needs to stay that same way. There are countries across the globe that you cannot insult their state enforced police officers. And, you know, what happens over there? Well, they starve, they die, their national media lies to them. It's because they live in North Korea and China. These places, which I believe are not something to be venerated or be replicated, do not embody freedom or the heart of the free world that I think the United States loves to propagate itself as. And if that is true, if we are truly going to embody that, then it is absolutely disgraceful to push through legislature that punishes people based on a subjective view of something that they could do as a freedom of expression. Burning the flag, likewise, I've always stood by. I think it is it is a sad thing to do. But you are well within your rights to do it just because you despise the country, even if you live here. That does not mean that that country can then put you in jail. Uh, if they could, that's a problem because that is state enforced allegiance. And that's an issue. It's the same reason I have an issue with the Pledge of Allegiance, not the at least emotional attachment to the Pledge of Allegiance. I think it is just a bit of a strange, archaic and a little bit weird uh, of a ritual that we enforce onto children and enforce in public gatherings. It just seems a little strange. There's only four countries in the world who do that, by the way, being us, two African nations and North Korea. So eh, food for thought. But moving on from that topic, why would I be bringing up Kentucky's new law that, of course, is racially prejudiced? Well, that's because today is also the day of recording, I should say, on the 13th of March is an annual what I think should be an annually recognized holiday because it it is the day that Breonna Taylor was murdered inside her home at the hands of policemen where 32 bullets were fired in a no-knock, no-information break-in is what I can describe it. And this day should be nationally recognized as that in which police overstepped their boundaries and racially motivated murdered an innocent person. There isn't much context needed other than that, as that's really all there is to it. She was murdered inside her house. And if the skin color was flipped, if it was black people breaking in, it, it, honestly, it could be literally any other race. If it was Asian folks, if it was Hispanic folks breaking in to the house of a police officer and then murdering them with no warrant, no information needed, and then walking away scot-free, that's absolutely repulsive. And it should be viewed as such by literally everybody because that's disgusting. If you were murdered while you were sleeping, I feel you would feel the same way as well. If, you're, if your daughter, if your son, if your grandmother, if your grandfather was murdered while they were sleeping by those enforcing the peace, you would have a few questions. And I feel like on this anniversary of a tragedy that should be recognized, quite honestly, nationally as a day in such the police were not upholding the law. They were not doing their duty to protect and serve as they love to claim. It is astonishing to me that there has been very little to no progress. Now, you can point to statistics that do show that after the Black Lives Matter marches, there was a decrease in anti-black associations by police. There, there have been less shootings, deadly shootings by police. There have been less physical altercations with the police. But to me, that is not the change we need. Saying there's child poverty, but now there's a little bit less after we all banded together and 
told the government and, and told the states and, and told the enforced police unions that they did something wrong and they need to fix themselves and watching a 10 to 15 percent drop in that that violent harassment of those who are meant to protect and serve on those who are supposed to be protected and served. That to me is not a victory. That is a hollow victory at best and a slap in the face at worst. And honestly, I think it's a bit disgusting that there are some people resting on the laurels of this. You've seen some prominent centrist Democrats claiming that, you know, these marches have done a lot. You saw murals and you saw street name changes. But that to me isn't change. That is so superficial and could be undone in an instant. It's a bit disgusting. So what needs to happen is national change or state by state federal change that could truly, I think, somewhat vindicate the police apparatus that has caused so many problems for so many decades. But of course, they refuse to do so. And the politicians that are pushing to do that hardly ever gain traction because they are assaulted by the media. They are removed from power one way or another. They are kept out of public office because they are attempting to make change. And we saw this. You can point to systemic 2016, Bernie Sanders losing to Hillary Clinton in a number of elections that one could consider very, very close or too close for comfort. Uh, We saw places like Nevada, where there was an outright coup of the state for Hillary Clinton, which, again, is is not saying that Bernie Sanders won or, or peddling conspiracy theories, quite honestly, just saying that it is a documentable past of progressive candidates being shoehorned out of the way by centrist candidates supported by the national media and the national democratic machine. And of course, this is only talking about Democrats. Uh, Republicans have absolutely no interest in any form of police reform. Of course, they are the ones pushing for harsher instituted punishments and, and harsher punishments for those who aren't white. And I don't mean that literally. There are no laws on the books that literally say that. But then you look at things like the reasons why crack cocaine and regular cocaine are actually different federally speaking, differently registered, uh, and crack cocaine has a higher jail sentence attached to it. Now, why would that be? It's because if you look statistically, crack cocaine is used more amongst the African-American community, while regular cocaine, powdered cocaine, is used more amongst white constituents. That is obvious to me, racially motivated law creation stemming from, of course, the, the war on drugs, but that persists until now, really unchallenged by any Republicans. And I feel that much in itself speaks for itself. And for a party that wants to talk about liberty and self-preservation and and self-determination, I think that's a slap in the face to, unfortunately, those those of the African-American community or those of the Hispanic community that vote for that party and then expect good change and then expect their lives to be benefited. Uh, Of course, if they are in the top 1%, then I'm sure they will be through tax cuts or other means. But all of it is to say you want to rest on the laurels of racial change. You want to rest on the laurels of those entirely phenomenal marches that were organized nationally and, and by local communities in voice support of Black Lives Matter and what that organization stood for. Those principles of fighting systemic oppression that it stood on. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that nowadays we don't hear about it, especially as this anniversary rolls around. I feel it's incredibly poignant uh, and it hit me personally quite hard. I, I I found it a bit. It's so sad. You can't laugh, but it's so laughable because what it is, it, it's been a year now 
and we all knew about it a year ago and we've known about it ever since and what has changed. And I hate to sound like a broken record. It's just, it's a bit mind boggling. In other news of racial justice, however, we did see Minnesota judge Peter Cahill approve the prosecution's third degree murder charge against George Floyd's murderer, Derek Chauvin, in what is being called George Floyd's trial, which I think, of course, is a misnomer and has been recognized as incredibly insulting to George Floyd. However, that third degree murder charge that was originally paired with a second degree murder charge, which is now dropped, and now this has only just been reinstated, I think we are all going to be absolutely devastated in in just a few months. The jury selection is still ongoing, but I feel as if in a few months we are going to get the result from that trial, and I am calling it now. You can quote me on it as of right now. I think he will get off scot-free. He will be met with national cheers from the Republican Party. He will be met with with near universal disapproval from the Democratic Party. This will continue as a partisan effort of fighting for and then against racial justice on party lines for as long as these parties stand, as it's what fuels them and as what gets them money. And at the end of the day, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for profits. And that is what is wrong with the United States political system at the very base level. But all of it is to say it's incredibly disappointing. It's it's incredibly sobering to realize that we've come a year and nothing's changed. And I don't feel any better about tomorrow than I did the day she was murdered. I don't feel any better about tomorrow the day George Floyd was murdered in open daylight. That's an even more egregious scenario. I believe that we all can can come together and and hopefully realize that this transcends national identity or party lines. This is quite literally the baseline understanding of humanity, everybody's right to live their life. You can forfeit that right by doing a number of egregious things, but neither of these folks did. This was just the premature ending of two lives that have received national spotlight due to the situation surrounding them being particularly abhorrent i don't think we're going to see systemic change anytime soon i would love to be proven wrong but we will keep abreast of the situation and probably cover it as we move on to next week and until then we are all at least personally i'm going to be hoping for the speedy and quick condemnation of all of these actions during that trial and honestly i i just hope to see a brighter future for listening through to the end. We'd really appreciate it if you check us out at Aligning America on Instagram and Twitter. And if you really enjoyed it and want more content like this, be sure to head over to our Patreon to ensure we can keep putting out episodes changing hearts and minds one podcast at a time. Thank you.